This is an ABC podcast. Oh, we got a ton of new releases. We got like medieval monster hunters. Vengeance is the past. A very evil David Tennant. Yeah, don't touch it. Some Vikings, giant spiders, a very odd John Travolta movie. You can't just come to my private residence looking for me. Some home invasion, some Sasquatch nonsense. Some late 90s ghostly goings on. A bad relationship monster movie. Imaginary friends. I just want him to be gone. Very skinny people. Some coming of age. All right, all right, all right. And a heap of Asian movies, including two from Parasite director Bong Joon-ho. True Cult. New releases with Alex Bonniewell. I always thought I could protect her. What took her from me is still out there. Alex, this looks like an absolutely amazing film. This is brilliant. This is from Eagle Entertainment. This is The Headhunter. And I think in the trailer, you had all the dialogue that is in the movie. Oh, you're kidding. Um, (laughs) No, seriously. It's it's so well done. I I can't believe this was made on a micro budget of 30,000 US dollars. Yeah. You can't even make an advert for that money anymore. You know, it's like, but this is like a, it's like 70, 80 minute long movie. Really good. It's set in some sort of age where monsters roam a kingdom and the lone knight slash barbarian. He kind of waits patiently in his cabin for the call to seek out any new terror that is encroached on the land where he has to battle them and behead them and then return with his trophy and his payment. Christopher Reig is the headhunter and he's spurred on by his thirst for vengeance on the creature that killed his daughter. Like I said, the budget is minuscule. I've no idea how they did it for this. I've seen films with a hundred times this budget that don't look as good, aren't made as well, aren't scripted as well aren't shot as well this is quite fantastic obviously on such a small budget there are there are very tight constraints on what you can and cannot show it helps that there's only two actors you've got the headhunter and his daughter and secondly when he goes to do battles with the monsters you see him fly off on his horse and then you see him come back battle scarred and bloody with the head in a bag so you don't see any of the monsters he fights, but this really doesn't matter because that's, that's pretty part clever. Of the brilliance, brilliance of the film. Yeah, you kind of go, "What's he going to get?" Well, and he comes back and he's got the head and he spikes it on the wall and then bathes his wounds in some weird concoction he's made and distilled from from the stuff that leaks out of these monsters' heads. And very quickly, he's back to full health and ready to go again incredible movie i've watched this twice since i've i've got this and it amazes me every time i put it on quite quite brilliant i mean it's like this this if you are a budding filmmaker and you think i can never make anything on a budget for less than hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever you watch the headhunter brilliant stuff alex there are so many films with eagle entertainment this time around which is great yes. i thought that This was fantastic of having David Tennant as a bit of a creepy psycho, but I'm not sure how much of that is because he's got an American accent in this film. But just from what I saw in the trailer, it is definitely my type of film. This is great. This is called Bad Samaritan. This is from director Dean Devlin, who was the writer of Universal Soldier, Independence Day 1 or 2, and the director of the entertainingly ridiculous Geostorm. We get, as you said, David. Oh, come on. Geostorm is great. (laughs) 
I think this might have been done on the budget for like one of the sets of Geostorm, but that, that doesn't take anything away from Bad Samaritan. You know, Dave, Dave, David Tennant is at his most vicious and wicked in this as he terrorises a parking valet who stumbles upon a dark secret when he goes to rob his house after they've taken the keys to his very posh car. That's where the budget it. went. The oh, Maserati. Yeah, was, the Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> most definitely. Tennant is excellent. He's really, really good fun to watch. I really like it when he goes off the rails and is just like the anti-doctor, I suppose, where he's, he's a threat to all around him. Um, this is a really cool dark thriller. Really enjoyed it. I want to see David Tennant being more psycho. Most definitely. Oh, for sure. Alex, and I mean, who doesn't like a bit of Viking action as well? Exactly. This is called Viking Uprising, the legend of Redbad. And this is based on the true story of the last Viking king, Redbad. Really? Yeah, who is determined to save his people from the encroaching Christian occupation of his lands, which is set to take over all their lands and their beliefs. The, the, the advancing Christians do have the touch of the ISIS about them in this, where they just kind of turn up, wreck everything, and say, follow us or you die, which is an interesting take on a religious ideology taking over a land that we don't usually see in this part of the world. And I do like a Viking adventure, although I've never actually sat down and watched the Vikings TV show, and I really must rectify it. you know it. what? You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> There's some good battle scenes in this. Some of it comes across a little bit like a Viking soap opera. But overall, <laughs> it was like enjoy- really enjoyable escapism. Um, lots of running around with men in beards with like long hair and dreadlocks and axes and swords and some kick-ass women in this as well who've, who've got long hair and plaits and swords and stuff. And yeah, enjoyable escapism. Alex, I like spiders. This, I thought, yeah, I'd probably watch this, but there were bits of it that I thought, I think I've seen this before. Oh, yeah, itsy bitsy. Nothing new, but really good fun. Single mum with two kids moves from the city to the countryside so she can be a private nurse to an elderly guy. But he has a collection of rare and bizarre objects, including an ancient jar that contains a spider god. And cue big spider horror that turns out into exactly what I would have rented from the video short store when I was 16. Um, (laughs) I, I had this kind of like, yes, good practical effect spider in this. The kid isn't too hateful. Neither is the mum. Everyone's kind of enjoyable to watch. This is a good throwback creature feature, and I loved it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you did, Alex, but I think I will be pressing play on it either way. Like, I can say what I want, but really, as soon as I went, oh, person with two kids, small town, moving yeah. somewhere, okay. And then I think it was the end part of the trailer that got me. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I mean. <laughs> really, not not the most cliched film we've got tonight in the new releases, I have to say. That's coming later. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> um, John Travolta, for me, needs to play more creepy, villainous people like he did in Face Off, and I think Creepy Stalker is definitely next level for him. Oh, this is a weird one. This is the fanatic. Now, here's the thing. This is directed by Fred Durst. What? Limp Biscuit, Fred Durst. Limp Biscuit, Fred Durst. Yeah, he he wrote this and did the screenplay as well. But I have no idea how he managed to get funding for this and get John Travolta in it. But anyway, Travolta plays a film-obsessed guy called Moose who's mentally challenged. Um, He's a massive fan of a horror-slash-action star called Hunter Dunbar, played by Devon Sawa. When Moose gets to meet his here at the local comic shop signing, 
it doesn't happen and Hunter has to leave before he gets to sign the jacket that Moose has spent the last of his money on. So he somehow finds Hunter's address and goes to try and meet his hero. It all gets a bit stalky, but Moose doesn't realise he's being a stalker because his capacity to reason that he might be being a stalker isn't there. It all starts obviously to go wrong. There is death, there is violence, there's shouting, etc., etc. And Travolta is, <laughs> this is a weird one to watch. Travolta was pretty uncomfortable to watch as Moose. It's, I don't know, it's kind of like a 16-year-old has taken acting lessons to kind of go, right, okay, you're mentally impaired. How are you going to act? I'm going to act like this. Okay, John, that's fine. And so you're like kind of going, ooh, that's like, hmm. I mean, I, I haven't gone near Forrest Gump for the same reason. Because it's like I don't, I can't, I don't really like actors when they kind of go right. I'm going to do this, and you're going to, I'm going to make it believable. And it's like no, it's, this isn't quite. The only time I think it's ever worked is probably in my left foot. Yeah, but even okay. then, I kind of went was a bit like oh, I'm still a bit weirded out by this. Anyway, Durst direction is a bit club handed, and he even managed to shoehorn one of some limp biscuit on the soundtrack. Oh come is on, it, probably got it for cheap. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> But is this destined for cult status? Yes, it is. I'm not sure what reasons it will gain cult status, but it's going to. Whether it's to watch something directed by Fred Durst or watching John Travolta play the weirdest character he's ever played in his life. But yeah, and it will be cult, most definitely. Alex, I've said time and time again that if someone knocks on your door, reckon that they're having some kind of trouble, just close that door, go back to your life. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much where hell is where the home is. It would have been a very short film. This is a pretty standard home invasion flick. You've got two dysfunctional couples. They rent a secluded house in the desert and try and sort things out. They don't. Someone turns up. Things get a bit knifey. It's all a bit predictable. But sometimes you just want to see a film and kind of go, yeah, let's watch everyone die horribly because you don't like any of them. And that's pretty much what this is. Um, it was a, like I say, standard home invasion horror flick nothing particularly new but you know it, it passed the time i didn't not enjoy watching it put it that way but again it, this would have been something i would have probably rented out in the mid 80s i thought oh, that was all right you know <laughs> I've, I've seen a, a bazillion films like it but the next one on my list from eagle entertainment took me back to the days of being 12 and watching bigfoot sasquatch horror on tv oh, yes. when i wasn't supposed to be this is big legend Oh, I have such fond memories of watching some brilliantly dreadful films as a kid, which dealt with a giant man in a hairy ape beast costume in the woods or up a mountain or somewhere. This was really good fun. Um, and unexpectedly, Adrienne Barbeau and Lance Henriksen turn off in it, yes. which caught me off guard, which I was like, ooh, excellent. Exactly what you expect from the subgenre of Bigfoot films, men hunting a thing that's really hunting them. The thing getting the better of the men and the hairy suit looking cool. And hooray, no CGI, just a guy in a suit beating up guys with guns. Really silly, really fun. I, if, if you like Bigfoot films, you really can't go wrong with Big Legend. Yeah, I watched a documentary recently and there's uh, a little bit of conjecture around whether you should call things Bigfoot because there's this notion that there could be different species. That's what I oh, learned oh. this week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Imagine all these massive hairy beast things getting upset because they've been labelled with the wrong name. I'm not a Bigfoot. I'm a Sasquatch. How dare they? <laughs> I suddenly give them very, very 
polite posh British accents in the woods all talking to each other. That's how I imagine it as well. There once was a house, a bright, happy home. Something bad happened. Now it sits all alone. Is this where you're going? That's Hill House. It's perfect, isn't it? You all suffer from sleep disorders. My job is to find out why. What's the deal with the Adams Family Mansion? I gotta be honest, I don't get a real strong sleep vibe from this place. (laughs) Don't you love it here? This is so twisted. Calling it an insomnia study allows me to create a highly suggestive environment to observe the dynamics of fear. You don't tell the rats they're actually in a maze. I'm sorry. It occurred to me, Alex, that I had seen this in 1999 (laughs) and I liked it then, but prior to knowing maybe I didn't like Liam Neeson as much and that would take another 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) So this is from UmbrellaEnt.com.au. This is The Haunting, the remake of the 1963 film, also called The Haunting, neither of which I had seen. Until I really? watched, yeah. Until okay. I welcome, watched, welcome. Watched the, the remake. Like you say, it's from 1999. This is out on DVD and Blu-ray. This is from the director of Speed One and Two, Twister, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Cradle of Life, and it's got that very slick Hollywood late 90s kind of feel about it. Cool cast. You've got Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Owen Wilson, Lily Taylor, and Bruce Dern. Um, most of these end up in the sprawling gothic mansion that you heard them talking about in the trailer as Dr. David Marrow, Liam Neeson, carries out what his supposed sleep study, where he's not studying sleep, he's studying fear. Things start to go bump in the night as the house reveals its ghostly secrets and our various characters start getting scared and the doctor's study can start in earnest. And not as scary as it would like to think it is. It's much more a live action Scooby-Doo, which if you're going with that in mind, it's really, really good fun. But the most amazing thing about this is the set design. The house looks incredible. It rivals the mansion in Crimson Peak. It's insane, over-the-top gothic spookiness. This is so my dream. How this and the house from Crimson Peak, if you mash them together, I'd be quite happy living in it. Incredible set design. And that's probably the main reason you should watch this. You know, um, all the characters are fun. They kind of get a bit spooked out by stuff and it's lots of running around and screaming. Like I say, it's very Scooby-Doo, especially with Owen Wilson in it. But yeah, the, the set design and stuff is incredible. Yeah, I think this is the one. Isn't there a point where someone gets thrown into what seems to be quite a soft pillar? <laughs> 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 Probably I wasn't watching it kind of that crazy. Oh, I'll have, now I have to go back and watch it again. No, you, you do. Saying, you do. I think that, it's either that, Owen Wilson or maybe Catherine Zeta-Jones who gets thrown into this pillar and everything's falling down, but they kind of bounce off it and you can see yeah. kind of the squishiness involved. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Oh, I love it when they leave stuff like that. Obviously, the CGI 99 wasn't wasn't good enough to kind of paper over that. I go, no, no, we'll just make it look all solid again afterwards. It's okay. Just slap some on there. It'll be fine. It probably cost a fortune to make in 1999. Oh, yeah, say. because she was a high-priced actress then. On the other end of the budgetary spectrum, from umbrellaent.com.au, we have After Midnight. So this is a monster film as an analogy for a failed relationship. This has been done before, but this is 
they have a really good stab at this. Um, Hank is having a bad time. His girlfriend, Abby, has left him. And he spends his nights drinking beer and keeping his shotgun close in case the thing that is outside attacking the front door gets in. This is a cool indie horror about relationships that fail and trying to make up for the mistakes you've made without actually kind of realising what the mistakes you've made because you're kind of a bit of a bro dude and you don't actually realise that you you were onto a good thing and then it's ended. There's some good tension. There's a very, very cool creature. It's one of my favourite creature designs in a long time. But you only really see it at the end, which is a shame because it does look brilliant. And I can only imagine they were thinking we have to save this for the end of the film because if we show it too early, we're going to like show all our cards. And, and, and I get that. Again, I'm really liking this kind of new wave of American indie horror that's coming out at the moment. The guys that made this made a film called Battery, which has also had very good reviews and I've not seen yet. And I think I'm going to have to go back and find. Cool stuff. Really enjoyed After Midnight. It was it was unexpected. It was one of those ones, the, the cover art grabbed me and I went, oh, I, oh, I yeah, quite fancy Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed the cover art. It's yeah. quite stunning. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, if, if you're into horror that's not obvious and you want a cool creature feature that's not obvious, then, yeah, you should definitely check out After Midnight. I had an imaginary friend when I was a kid. His name was Daniel, and he was my best friend. He was my only friend, really. Did something happen with this friend? No. Something painful? No. Just kid stuff. What did you do? What did you do to me? The mind reflects its environment. Mom, what happened in the mirror? <laughs> I didn't like what I saw. <laughs> it's common for people to see things that aren't real. You shouldn't be afraid of your imagination. What's that thing behind me? It's like your shadow. saw something full of danger. No more Daniel! No more Daniel! <laughs> I just want him to be gone. Alex, I know you're probably really excited about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son making an appearance in this. <laughs> As I, was, I was like, Patrick Schwarzenegger, what? Really? Arnie's son? Yes, he's excellent. We'll get to him in a second. Right, so this is new from Rialto, and this is Daniel Isn't Real, which is out on DVD. So Luke, plays by Miles Robbins, has an imaginary friend, Daniel, as you heard from in the trailer, uh, who starts off being fun but gradually starts to go bad. And it gets to the point where young Luke, who's about seven eight when the film starts with the help of his mother banishes daniel to a doll's house prison and forgets about him now he's kind of like a a young adult and he's going to university and he's socially awkward and he has anxieties and fears and he, he he doesn't quite cope with the world and on the advice of his therapist he's told to reconnect with what made him feel good when he was young and that was daniel so he he goes and finds daniel again who now is also a young man, but he's very suave and charismatic and he's everything that Luke isn't. And as mentioned, Daniel is played by Patrick Schwarzenegger and he does such a cool job. He goes from 
I'm your best bud. I'm your wingman. Look at me. I'm so smooth. You can be like me. Do what I say. I'll put words in your mouth. I'll talk into your ear. You can, you can talk my words, and you'll impress the girls. You'll you'll be top of the class. And until it starts to, he starts to get up to his old tricks, and he starts suggesting bad things to Luke, and trying to get him to do stuff, and losing his temper with him, and it starts to get really really dark um again call indie horror it takes that split persona thing and and runs with it in a completely different direction really enjoyed this um i think spectrovision had something to do with the production of this which is elijah wood this his production company and they just seem to be churning out some of the best films at the moment because well, they, they kind were of poses that question doesn't it what happens with the imaginary friend you had who then comes back when you're an adult which I quite like that whole concept. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's not like something like Drop Dead Fred, where where Drop Dead Fred has remained that naughty yeah. little boy. Daniel has grown up and has got a completely different agenda. But as the film progresses, you kind of find out who and why Daniel is there, and it's 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 really really cool. And what Daniel does and how he finds his kind of hopes for want of a better word it's really really cool i i never had an imaginary friend i don't know if i don't think any of my kids have got imaginary friends I've not that seen, you know of i know <laughs> until it comes knocking yeah. <laughs> i did i had an imaginary yeah. oh, friend excellent yeah not looking did, forward to that one coming back maybe i don't know <laughs> did they make you do bad things um, no, but my mum recently actually just out of nowhere brought that up and I was like, that was weird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna, yep. Thanks for that mum. <laughs> but, but you yeah, know, Daniel isn't real. I really enjoyed this. I'd kind of lumped this in with stuff like, um, Bliss and Mandy and those of sort of films. It's got that kind of feel to it. Uh, that kind of slightly weird psychedelicness about it, but that really dark, ominous presence as well. Um, yeah, I'm, like I said before, there's such a, a cool amount of films coming out at the moment, new films that are, are taking, are, are finding an identity within a period of time. Like there's a whole load of movies from the 80s that you can lump together and from the 90s. And now into the late 2010s and into the 2020s, it, there's coming I mean, this kind of cohesive sort of school of horror and weirdness that's, that's gelling, which I'm really enjoying watching. Trevor, can I ask you something? Is someone chasing you? Not yet, but they will when they find out who I am. Oh, really? Why are you? How are you doing, Resnick? I've had a lot on my mind lately. There's nothing I can't handle. Radio says there's a storm on the way. I'd say it's already here. I'm so tired. Everyone gets insomnia now and then. Steve, I haven't slept in a year. Is someone chasing you? Not yet. <laughs> but they will when they find out who I am. When you're really tired, Alex, not a film that you really want to watch, but 
always there for Christian Bale. You know me. Yes, yeah. Brain of fire there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so from Cinema Cult, The Machinist on DVD and Blu-ray. So this is a re-release of the 2004 Chronic Insomnia horror starring a painfully, painfully thin Christian Bale. You You can count the lumps on his spine and all his ribs and everything it's like there is this is not makeup this is christian bale is method acting most he plays a guy called trevor resnick who doesn't sleep he doesn't really eat and he lives in this kind of weird seemingly twilight world of not being quite aware of who he is or where he is or what he's supposed to be doing and being a machinist in a factory this could get dangerous and it does He's mistrusted by his co-workers and he tries to, he starts to think someone is out to get him. The only person that kind of listens to him is the prostitute he goes to see called Stevie, played by um, Jennifer Jason Lee. And, you know, it's like, does she really connect with him or is she just being there because he's paying her to be there? And he's also got this other fantasy about a single mom that he who serves him coffee in the middle of the night at the airport where he thinks that he can he can kind of step in and be the the father figure to her child and this this is a brilliant portrayal of a man slowly losing his grip on reality he doesn't know what's real he doesn't know what's some sort of weird sleep deprived hallucination bizarre hunger vision or whatever he's got it's it's one of the most disturbing Christian Bale films, I think, to watch. Oh, yeah. Just, just because he, you're just kind of watching it going, how, how are you still walking around, how, let alone acting? You but know, also when you know that he went from that to Batman. To Batman, yeah. You know, in, in not a very long time, he bulked up really quickly to play Batman. I mean, it's like, I mean, you've you got to hand it to Christian Bale, whether you, you enjoy watching him act or not, he's... He, puts everything he can into every role he does you know and you know, with the machines there's various stories about the the director thinking that he was just going to keel over and die on set because he was so thin you know they'd all go and eat lunch and he'd be there with like a potato chip he's like that's it done <laughs> like no come on eat more no i'm trevor resnick trevor wouldn't eat and they're like okay christian and I remember there being a lot of discussion around how much weight he lost for this role. Yes. Um, and whether, you know, there was a, ho- a whole discussion, I think, from memory about method acting. And yeah. is is this the extreme of it? And, you know, do they need to put things in place, you know, when actors and actresses go too far? You know, where's the, where's the point where, as the director, as the production company, you step in and go, well, no. I really don't. Christian Bale would have accepted no, you're getting too thin. No, and he knows Gun Carter, so you don't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, this this is a superbly twisted, dark, hallucinatory film. There's not another film like The Machinist out there. No. It really was ahead of its time, and it, it still stands up now as being just out there on its own. It's quite brilliant. Also from Cinema Cult on DVD and Blu-ray, we've got Richard Linklater's 1993 coming-of-age comedy, Dazed and Confused, which is set on the last day of school in May 1976. Ah, I say comedy because I found this really disturbing to watch. Um, I didn't laugh at any of it. I found it just this weird film about the power structure of peer pressure that's perpetuated from one school generation to another. It's a really, I thought it was a really horrible insight into the best days of our lives, which if you weren't bullied was great. But if you were the bullied, it was just hell. 
I couldn't connect to any of the characters. I thought there was loads of horrendous social norms in this, especially when the girls kind of haze the new girls coming up and they make them kneel in front of one of the older boys and say they will marry them and do whatever they want to them. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> what it's am like, I watching? <laughs> what am I watching? This is this is horrible. And, you know, it's like as a time and place film, I, I get that. Um, I also understand that it's got a huge following. And I mentioned this on one of the Facebook film groups I'm on that I found it utterly disturbing. And there was people going, no, it's hysterical. And I can't, can't help but think that the people think it's hysterical were part of the, the group that were at the top of the tree and dishing Quite out possibly. to the people at the bottom. We're going, oh, it's great. We could just do what we want. We could get stoned, drink beer. We could hit people with lumps of wood and get away with it. And it's like, no, I was at school. I was the person being hit. And that's all I got from this. It was like this perpetuation of a bullying culture. Seeing as this was like the last day of school in 1976, all the people that would have left school and gone to college, they would now be older than me. And they would be the people in power in politics and industry. And they'd be bosses and stuff. And I'm just kind of thinking, oh, my God, this is where it all stems from. All that horrible kind of you do it my way, you're out kind of attitude. It's from school so i i i get that it's kind of like this is what it was like when i was at school but i i can't imagine for the life of me why this is a comedy so not when you'll be showing the children when they get older um, oh no you'll be in the collection they can they can watch it whenever they like when they're older i go this is apparently what it was like in this part of the world in 1976 this is what happened i'd watch their faces but then it's like i can't it's with the, like the 1950s horror movies You've got that, that that really horrible macho male image that yeah. kind of domineers over it. And it's still in place in stuff like Dazed and Confused. It's slightly less, but it's still there. And as we've moved on, in movies especially, that kind of inequality between stuff has, has kind of narrowed more and more and more and more until the films that I'm now watching, it's, it's, it's a lot of it's kind of pretty non-existent. Um, but yeah, I, I'd never seen David and Confused before. I was interested to see it because I quite like some of Linklater's film. I really enjoyed Scanner Darkly. That's an incredible film. I didn't like Slacker, <laughs> which, which <laughs> this was made after Slacker. Slacker just made me angry. But yeah, I, I was a bit dazed and confused about why this gets the, the praise that it does. I was going to say the man of the hour, but probably the man of a decade, of the century, like this could go on. I mean, total trailblazer and history maker. Yes, so this is Mother, um, directed by Bong Joon-ho. This is out on DVD from Madman. Um, He, of course, is the director of multi-Oscar winner for the film Parasite at this year's Academy Awards. And this is from 2009. And this is a film about a mother desperately trying to clear her mentally challenged adult son's name for the murder of a young girl. Again, Bong Joon-ho explores the class divide within South Korea as mother, played by Hijack Kim, finds it increasingly difficult to prove her son's innocent. Lawyers cost money, she doesn't have it. The police don't care. They found their man, the case is closed. Her friends have started to distance themselves. But she is in this kind of dogged pursuit to 
clear her son's name. And although this is a pretty dark movie, there is some humour here, much like most of other most of the other films by um, Bong Joon Ho, including Parasite. There's some very funny moments here, and again in the host, which we'll get to in a second. Even in a world of murder and desperation, there's still time to have a bit of a smile about halfway through the movie. And that's brilliant. This is why I this guy is one of my favourite directors of the moment. Um, I'd not seen Mother before. It was on my list of films to see, and luckily Madman put it out there. Really, really cool movie. And this is how you play a mentally challenged adult and generate sympathy for them. John Travolta, you need to have watched this film before you'd made Fanatic. Incredible acting. Every, everyone in this is amazing. The story's really cool. A couple of twists I didn't see coming, which I really enjoy. And like I say, it's good and dark, and you have that kind of class struggle in there that makes you realise that the world isn't fair. You know, you have the haves and the have-nots, and the haves will always have it, and the have-nots won't. And unfortunately, the family that we're following are part of the have-nots and their lot in life isn't going to be an easy or, or nice lot. Not as depressing as that sounds, actually. <laughs> but it's also, but, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, because you have seen the film uh, and I'm going sort of what the subtitles were kind of telling me, but it's also about a mother who will stop at nothing to show that her son is innocent as well. So it's kind of a mother on the edge in a way, but also shows that, you know, sometimes mothers will go above and beyond for their children too. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, I mean, this this sort of story has been done a million times before, but watching Bong Joon-ho do it, it puts it in a different league. And, yeah, I always kind of like this kind of like battling against adversity, the complete underdog trying to prove themselves kind of movie. I, I really get into stuff like that. This was, yeah, great. I mean, I've still got a few of his films to seek out and watch, and I will eventually end up with all of his stuff because he's one of the directors, like you say, of, of the century. He's quite, quite brilliant. Second film from Bong Joon-ho is the 2006 Monster Mash, The Host, which we've talked about on True Cult before. This has been re-released on DVD. I love this movie. The usual class conflicts are peppered through the film, and here we have a poor family that sells snacks on the banks of the Hound River, and our unsung saviours are confronted by this enormous creature that explodes from the river and causes mayhem. This is a very cool creature feature and brilliantly done with all the usual subtext about class conflict in South Korea from Bong Joon-ho. And the second time it's come up, as you say, and I still haven't seen it. So I feel like this is a sign. I'm not against it. Every time you describe this film, love it, just haven't got around to it. It's, It's really, really cool. And like I say, I mean, as you know, and any listeners to True Cult will, will know, I'm a massive fan of, of South Korean kind of horror and, and thriller. And this is like one of my favourites from that country. And like I say, there's a creature design in this is just superb. And yeah, and it, it shows even at a very early on in his career, you can see where Bong Joon-ho is, is kind of going. And then he is a step above people like in the West in how he's making movies. And it's, and it hasn't taken him that long. It's like what 14 years since the host was released to, to make a film that just completely blew everyone out of the water at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's been quietly 
humbly just making his movies and, and brilliant movies until he's gone. Notice me now. This is when I kind of go, yeah, here I am. And everyone goes, whoa, some more sort of groundbreaking Japanese horror now. Heidu Nakata's 1998 Ringu has been re-released on DVD. Now, this is utterly terrifying. And the start of the kind of late 90s, early 2000s boom in Asian horror. It's brilliantly creepy and a great place to start if you're wanting to get into Japanese or Asian horror in general. People should know the story by now. We've got remade as, obviously, The Ring. Um, it's about a cursed videotape. If you watch it, You've got to pass it on to someone else to watch or you're going to get done by the girl, girl in the world that will come out your TV and do you. Fantastically creepy. This just weirds me out every time I watch it. I love this film so much and can't recommend it highly enough. If you want to get into Japanese horror, this is a, the place to start and then kind of spiral out from here. On the tales of Ringu, we have Juon and Duon 2, both out on DVD, um, re-released again by Madman. And Duon is from 2002, and Duon 2 from 2003. Both very creepy tales about vengeful ghosts, and one of the creepiest kids ever put on film. We have talked about this on True Cult. The little, <laughs> the, the pale little boy with the black eyes weirds me out every time I see him. It's a real, the first one is just, just makes goosebumps appear on me. Even when I'm talking about it now, it just starts. Ugh. And the second one takes it a step further. It's got more goosebump inducing creepiness. Obviously, if you've seen the first one, the second one doesn't hold that many sort of surprises. Cause you know, it's going to kind of be weird ghost things and, creepy kids and dark eyes and pale skin and kind of that weird exaggerated juddered movement and stuff just off a camera that you can see in the shadows which i love about asian horror you kind of sit in there and you go what just moved and you're trying to find a thing that moved and it's got still again and you kind of go okay and you focus on the screen again and then it moves again and you're like no please get out of my sight and then it, <laughs> then it disappears or something's happened and i love that about these sort of films both the Duon films were remade as The Grudge and The Grudge 2 in the US. Both films were directed by Takashi Shimizu, and he also directed the US remakes as well, which I've never seen. And these are as essential as, as the Ringu as far as Asian horror goes. Love all this stuff. It's great. Well, lucky for you, Alex, I have seen both the US remakes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the originals as well? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, after because at that at that time when they came out, I didn't realise that they were remakes from Japanese horror. And then, right. of course, you know, word starts to get out there, and then they they kind of became available. And so I did go. And because my sister was very much into Japanese horror films as well, that's kind of how. I managed to see those too, um, was because she had them. But yeah, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, great. So, so unfortunately, she's she's an actor that I can't get on with. I really struggle with Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. At some point, I will have to watch the Grudge remakes just because I'd like to see what they did with them. Um, it is, and you've got to watch the I remake. Just go all in. Just have yeah. a whole day of watching the remakes of the Asian films that you've seen first. And then, yes. make, and then we'll compare notes about yes. what you thought about them. But there's a scene in Grudge 2, the remake, which is what I'll call it so that it's, it's we're not confusing it between the original, yeah. where I think she's in a hospital or something and the lights are slowly going out. And every time I go into the work bathroom, there's sensor lights and it's the thing that I think about every time. Every time I'm there late at night – 
mainly chatting to you afterwards and then I have to go in and it's pitch black and I'm waiting for these lights to come on and then I think about that scene and it's just I can't get out of it quick enough. <laughs> so it's a time where sense emotion lights should not be used at work. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last film from Madman tonight. This, this, yeah, this, this is the most cliche-ridden movie of the new releases. This is Disturbing the Peace on DVD, um, starring Guy Pearce. And Ooh. I wanted to watch this because I love Guy Pearce. He plays a small-town cop, and he lives, like I say, in a world of cinematic cliches. He's he's the kind of small-town cop. He wears the cowboy hat, the cowboy boots. You know, he's he's kind of. He, he likes to enforce the law, but he's got like a, like a heart of gold for the locals. You know, he quite likes the woman who owns the cafe where he goes and gets his coffee and breakfast, you know, and it's, it's a nice kind of peaceful town until a vengeful bike gang enter town led by Devin Sawa. Again, it's second film always, he's in tonight. Oh. Always the rebel bike gang, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and of course, you know, the, the bike gang are exactly what you expect a bike gang to be, and the reaction to the bike gang is exactly what you expect a small-town cop's reaction to be. And, yeah, this is a dumb sub-sons of anarchy biker movie. Um, and while entertaining enough, it's not quite bad enough to be good. It's right on the edge of, like, oh, just push it a little bit further, and, and we're into Roger Corman territory. Go on, oh, yeah. just, just exaggerate everything a little bit more. And we could get there, but it doesn't quite overstep that boundary, which is a shame because I like bad biker films and I really like Guy Pearce, but it doesn't quite overstep that mark. Um, I think if it did, it would have been a much better movie and it would find a much wider audience. I mean, obviously, there's going to be Guy Pearce fans that did exactly what I did. Went, oh, Guy Pearce is a small town cop fighting bikers. Yes, please. It's got its moments, but overall... <laughs> So there's probably like some sort of film cliche bingo you can play with Disturbing the Peace, which would make it a more enjoyable film, I should think. If you like stuff like Sons of Anarchy, then you're not going to go far wrong with it. This is Rihanna Patrick on ABC Radio. 